All right. So what happened in the market this week? Uh, it went up and down. Well, actually, it didn't. All right. It just and went round and round. Now, because... on to weather. This week, yeah. we had uh, some precipitation and temperatures across the United States. And now on to sports. Uh, the teams that won the most points tended to win, except in golf. Now on to back to the market. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. We are both bald. We are both bearded. We enjoy horrible puns. Those are the first disclosures. Next disclosure is this program is called The Personal Wealth Coach. Wait, I already told you that, didn't I? Well, that's a disclosure. Yeah. Well, it's also the name of the firm that employs the two bald guys, uh, or at least unemploys them, something like that. Um, that is not coincidental. The SEC-registered firm is The Personal Wealth Coach. The radio program is performed by the people that registered the firm. Well, that's really, really amazing. Um, why do I tell you all of that? Because just as a side note, the program predates the firm by quite a long time. Um, I'm telling you that because we're required to at the firm, we're registered to give fiduciary advice and we can't do that on the radio, but we're still required to tell you who we are and who regulates us. Because if we say something really stupid, well, that's most of what we say. If we say something really illegal, you should be able to contact them and tell them who we are and why we said these horrible things on the air. Uh, so they have not given us any form of attaboy, girl, thumbs up, pat on the head, uh, any of that stuff by registering with them. It is simply the authority under which we fall. <sighs> we don't pay for this radio program. It's not a paid commercial program. Um, but we also can't give advice on it. So we're not paying for it and we can't give it. What is this thing? This is some sort of, well, it's educational and we're not being fiduciaries to any of the listening audience right now. We're being educators. Uh, so we're trying to teach you how to make good decisions. We don't know you all. Maybe we do. Maybe there's only a couple of you. Maybe there's none of you out there. If that's the case, then we could be giving advice on the air all the time, but it'd be to nobody. And then it wouldn't be private. So nobody w might get upset because it would be publicly to all the people Has that anybody weren't ever told listening. You you're uh, yes, I have been told that a few times. I'm an economist. That's like, uh, it's a redundant statement to say that we're weird. It's just, it's like politicians and, and ethics or honesty. They are oxymorons, but you know. I think you're more of an economist. Yes. Um, so, so we're eco-warriors. Just And when we say we fight for green, we're not talking about that eco. It's oh, the other eco, the econ. I was talking about I was talking about Kahneman. You're an economist. Ah, yes, I get that. I get that. Kahneman's a Nobel Prize winning economist, and it just shows that we're still weird because we're making puns with names that nobody else knows about. So we told you we prefer horrible puns to good ones. That was that requires us to disclose it multiple times. You've got a disclosure to give as hey, well. Hey, we're dads. We're dads. We are, and therefore, by definition, every joke we give is a dad joke. Yeah. It's just, well, it's right there. I have my favorite disclosure and disclaimer. Yes. Which is it, which is 
that the information we present on this educational radio program or internet program, as the case may be, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Very well done, sir. All right. So what happened in the market this week? Uh, it went up and down. Well, actually, it didn't. All right. It just and went round and round. Now, because, on to weather. This week, yeah. we had uh, some precipitation and temperatures across the United States. And now, on to sports. Uh, the teams that won the most points tended to win, except in golf. Now, on to back to the market. <laughs> well, we follow it. We use the Standard & Poor's 500 stock index as our prime market indicator, despite the fact it isn't... Uh, probably the best one in the world um is there a best one in the world i don't know that there's a best one in the world i i i would actually think there's an index that is the entire stock market and that's not even well, possible well it supposedly takes the entire all the stocks that are traded in the united states on stock markets and creates an index from them there's but, private stock markets that aren't even the, well, i mean okay. there's just no way all no the, way all the public stock markets it, okay it is and it's an interesting index, and it often doesn't go the same way as the S&P 500. And the Dow and the S&P 500 often go in different directions. And the NASDAQ joins in and goes in a different direction. So we're just sticking with the S&P 500 because it's widely followed, and it has more than 30 stocks in it. Yeah, good enough. Anyway, the S&P 500, otherwise affectionately known to practitioners of this profession as the SPX, was having a very mild week. It was just kind of bobbing along, not doing very much, a little higher than it ended last week, and was just kind of pleasantly humming along until Thursday. And then ADP, which used to be Automatic Data Processing, once owned by Ross Perot, uh, announced, and they do a lot of processing of... Yeah. Uh, employment. They're of, the largest private employment processing, paycheck processing company. So they yeah, have a so pretty they, good handle on who's being hired and fired. They know what percentage of the jobs market they can see, and they extrapolate that out to the whole jobs market about a week or several days at least before the Department of Labor comes out with a, with a slightly more official guesstimate. And they came out and said that during last month, the United St employers in the United States added half a million jobs. That's a lot. That's a lot of jobs. Which is... Which is a heck of a lot more jobs than anybody thought was going to be added last month. And that's net of layoffs and resi resignations and so on. And the market went and slipped downward. Not a lot, but it slipped downward and it looked like a lot in comparison with other things. And then on Friday, the Labor Department came out and said, here's our first estimate. And that's one of the things to really understand is that when labor, when the government agency comes out with a, here's the GDP Here's the job situation, so on, so on, so on. They do it at least three times. And the first one is just their best guess early. It's called the early release. Uh, and anyway, the, uh, the, so they said it was 209,000 new jobs. Now, which of those is correct? 500 really or 200. We really won't know uh, for at least three months. But And it's likely to be neither of those. But Both something else came up with a number that was sort of interesting, something a little short of 10 million job openings exist in the United States for which employers want to hire somebody, but are, are unable to find people to hire who are qualified for the job. That means that about 1.6 
jobs are open for every person in the United States who wants a job. Uh, and that that's not a weak a sign. Scary. That's not a weak sign for the economy. That's a strong sign for the economy. And that's scary because when the Federal Reserve is looking at the economy, they want to see it being a little bit humble, not not being flashy, calm down, calm down. That's not what's happening in the labor market. market the labor market is party season right now. And so, so what happened in the market because of that? By the end of the week, the S&P 500 had declined 1.16% to 4398.95, just below 4400. So the stock which, market, way, which represents the economy, was disappointed that the economy was doing so well. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So go ahead. The, now that we have understood market, the ununderstandable, go ahead. Well, the stock market is actually a futures market. Yes. We're looking ahead and saying, based on what we think is going to happen to the world, is the economy going to be better in the future? Okay. So it did obviously drop 1.16% for the week, but it is still over 14.5% higher than it was at the beginning of the year. It's 23% higher than it was in mid-October. And it's up about 40% over the last three years. Now, it's also 8.22% lower than it was at the beginning of 20, at the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022. So whether the market is up or down is your call, depends on your time frame. If you're investing in the stock market, you should be a longer term investor. And if you're a longer term investor, that's minimum three years, the market's up 40%. So that should be the end of that. In other, the other index we follow, the CRSP, U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index. Now, why do we follow that index? Because uh, it's cool. It's No. Um, Mid-Cap Value it represents the opposite end of the stock market. And I say opposite. That is carried by the S&P 500. The S&P 500 tends to focus on large cap growth companies because of the way they structure the index. That The bigger the capitalization of the company on the market the more weight it carries. Um, the CRSP, U.S. mid-cap value, doesn't work in growth. It specifically singles out what equates to the smallest stocks carried in the S&P 500, because there aren't any really small ones, small meaning low capitalization. Um, and so looking at it puts the rest of it in perspective. Now, it 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 generally follows the S&P 500 to some degree, it's, but... Um, it had a far more moderate reaction, was only down 0.02% for the week to 2390.98. That leaves it up about 2.2% this year and down about 8% from its peak in January 22. And you, we could follow the NASDAQ and a lot of other things, but those are the two we choose to follow. Interest rates being higher is the concern of all these new employees. I mean, wages went up. We'll talk about that some more. Uh, employment went up. Uh, so that means there's more money being pumped into the economy because the people who are now working who weren't working a few months ago are now making more money and that money will be spent somewhere. And that has a tendency, more money coming into the economy to be spent has a tendency to run inflation up. The Federal Reserve's job is to not allow inflation to run up, but to tamp it down. And the reason the market went down was because of the fear that the Federal Reserve will crank interest rates up too long, too high, and create a recession. So we're in the weird position, and we get in this every few years, where good economic news is bad news to stock market investors, theoretically. Now, if you're a long-term investor, it's still good news. It continues to be good news, but if you're a short-term trader, it's not, and that was complicated. Anyway, higher interest rates drove the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is the benchmark for all the other interest rates, up above 4%. It's now 4.06%. That's the highest yield since last October. The Treasury yield curve 
which normally is one of the best indicators whether or not we're going to have a recession, is still very inverted. The one-year and shorter maturities are all running at about 5.5% annualized. And the 30-year Treasury bond also rose a tad. It closed out at 4.05%. And we have, of course, an inverted yield curve. And if you don't know what an inverted yield curve is, it is when short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, which is natively unnatural because the longer you loan money to any entity, including the United States government, the more interest you should ask on that loan because the risk of leaving money with the United States government or anybody else for 30 years is higher than than leaving it with them for a short period of time, theoretically. So when we have an inverted yield curve, short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, and that's weird and generally causes a bear market, except this time... Well, it generally causes a recession. Right, and it generally precedes a bear market. This time around... We had a bear market... We ain't seeing it. We had a bear market. We just didn't see the recession. Normally, once the bear market occurs, the interest rates turn around, short-term rates drop down, long-term rates go up a little bit, and that means we're coming out of the recession and the bear market, but everything is excessively weird in the market, and it's excessively weird because we're still doing cattail responses to the pandemic. Yes. Oil rose a little bit. Why did oil rise a little bit? Because that jobs report, in essence, said our economy is really, really, really strong and getting stronger, and there will be more demand for fuel in the future than there is at the present, which caused the price of oil to go up. Slightly, not greatly. It's at 73.66, up about 4.5% for the week, which means that uh, a week or two from now, the prices at the gas pump will go up a little bit. Yeah. So and that's the market. Yeah, that's the market. Uh, Europe's still in a recession. China's teetering around in an unknown land of maybe growth, maybe recession. Uh, their numbers aren't that believable at the moment and haven't been for a while. We still quote what they say, but they're teetering out there. All right. Now I'm going to change the subject just a touch and talk about someone. We've mentioned this very quickly the last several weeks. Harry Markowitz died on June 22nd, and we want to take a moment and recognize who he is and what he did. He's not a friend of ours. I've met him once. Uh, He's a Nobel Prize winning economist, and he came up with what we now call modern portfolio theory. Um, He was part of the uh, asset pricing models, and there's a whole series of contributions that he gave. We use a lot of his paper, his research, and how we design our portfolios. And to take a moment to recognize him, um, he studied at the University of Chicago under people like Milton Friedman. Um, he, he was there at the same time that Oppenheimer was heading up the physics department over there. And he took economics in a different way. He said, first off, economics isn't just about the study of the labor market or the study of manufacturing. It's also how we invest in it, which was considered to be radical thinking back then. In fact, Milton Friedman said, I'm not even sure this is economics. He later said, yes, it's economics. If if that's, I mean, we can't say that the plight of the commons and whether or not we're overfishing tuna is economics if we can't (laughs) include investing in it. Um, Markowitz took a mathematical approach to the market, which to anybody that's listened to us, that sounds counterintuitive to what we generally say, where you need to look at quality in your investments if you're going to be investing. Don't just randomly grab stuff. Um, And mathematics would say you just grab the average and go with it. 
What Markowitz did was say, by being diversified across lots of asset classes and having those asset classes have a history against each other where they're shock absorbers, they lower the risk if you put them in together. Um, not always, but a lot of times. This is what he won his Nobel Prize for, a methodology for investing. And that methodology is something, you know, w there's only ever been one Nobel Prize in economics given for a methodology of investing. This is it. Uh, and I think it's pretty important to recognize the guy that did it. Now, he didn't ever wind up using his own methodology in his own investments. He talked about that. He says, I'm an academic. I didn't do that. He did wind up founding a major company that's now a defense department um, contractor uh, for most of its income. But it was originally a, simu a mathematical simulation company. It's called CACI, C-A-C-I. Um, and uh, wound up teaching for the majority of his life. Didn't, didn't go out and say, this. everybody should invest like this or or fall into the category of giving his opinions to every newspaper on every subject, regardless of whether he was an expert on it, which is a, this is the normal fallacy of winning a major prize like that is you become an expert on everything, even when you're only an expert on one thing. Um, I wanted to take that just brief moment to recognize that he did something major for the entire world. The way we think about optimizing portfolios is also how you think the same mathematics is used in optimizing gas flow in a pipeline. And it's from his mathematics. He was part of the Cowles Commission, which was, uh, Cowles was a mathematician, and he was inviting economists to look at the math of the economy and see if there was some commonalities. Are there some laws that we can follow? We haven't found any laws to the economy yet, as far as mathematics goes. It's not physics. But we've found some rhymes, if you will, on how things work and that value companies, dividend-paying companies tend to recover from slow economic times better than growth companies, things like that. He helped to quantify that. So that was my brief, I don't know if it's a eulogy. I'm glad he existed. There you go. Uh, do you have some quick wrap-up before the end of the episode? Well, my wrap-up is uh, the same as the last paragraph we had in the newsletter. The economy of the United States is roaring ahead as more people are employed and their average wage is rising at a rate that just about offsets inflation. This is excellent news. But those that very fact will likely result in the Fed raising rates at least two more times and in doing so take short-term rates from the current 5.25 to 5.75. And I think what we're seeing in longer-term rates is they're rising as well. The yield curve is still inverted, but I think we're headed for a higher interest rate environment for the foreseeable future, I think it is foolish to assume things will come back down. And it's all yours. And we're out of time for this hour. Yes, we are. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we've got voicemail waiting during the weekends. Uh, real live people during the, the week, uh, locally, you can reach that line at... 254-947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Uh, you can see our famously made for radio faces, our wonderful staff. You can contact us through the contact form there. You can read our newsletters going back lots of years. You can sign up for the newsletter every Friday. Uh, you can listen to radio programs going back a long ways too. You can find our podcasts wherever you find them. You can email us at jeff or jake at tpwc.com.